you might not want to hear this, but about 75% of the population, the target's actually a stressor for, which means when you're trying to get people's eyes up and you're trying to get them to just react to the target, that's actually stressing them and making them worse. Today on the Tournament Code, we're joined by Kyle Aldering. Kyle is the Director of Instruction at the Academy at Black Creek in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and a Mental Golf Type Certified Coach. Mental Golf Type is a personality test designed for golfers to help you figure out why you think the way you do and perform better. Kyle has been named a top teacher under 40 in America by Golf Digest and the top teacher in Tennessee. Kyle hosts his own podcast called Beyond the Swing, Decoding High Performance and Consistency in Golf. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today, Kyle. We know that you obviously are active regarding mental golf types and teaching people about that. But before we get to that, I'd kind of like to learn a little bit more about your background in golf and how you got in golf in general. Yeah, I mean, started, I mean, I always tell like, I, started when I was eight, but I was kind of a terror on the course. I uh, had a, a bad attitude as uh, my dad would like to say it. So officially didn't start till I was about 12. And, you know, from a kind of a small town where, you know, I had a group of buddies that I grew up with. I mean, we played sports, we did everything together. I mean, we, we won at like every sport, football, basketball. I mean, we were just, so it was just like winning was a normal thing. So, and then golf was like immediately humbling where everything else came so fast, it was like golf was the one that was like, why is this creating such a problem for me? And I'm a type of person where like when that happens, I just have to know the answers. Like I just dive in. So golf, I just kind of dove in and, you know, I was from a small farm town in Michigan where golf really wasn't a thing. I mean, it was, you know, football, basketball, baseball. So it was, I was kind of the weirdo playing golf out and, you know, literally a goat pasture that was just mowed by a tractor. I mean, that's kind of how I grew up. I mean, I didn't see my first bent grass fairway until probably two years into the game. Um, so that's, I mean, that's essentially how I got, got started. But I mean, I got hooked so quick and I started because of that kind of drive and, and you know, just the wanting to know everything about it. Uh, I picked up pretty fast. I got pretty good. Um, started competing probably a year and a half in. Had some pretty good success quickly. And then it just, it just kind of fueled from there. I just, I just. I I love the the thing I always kind of loved about golf was the it's just so different, you know, different courses, grasses, conditions. I mean, it's just it's the most variable game on the planet. Um, and it, that just always kind of just, you know, everything was new. Every time playing was new, there's new shots like, you know, so that just desire to want to learn all that, just kind of feel that passion to to run with it. That is cool. When you started playing competitive golf, I know it sounded like, you know, pretty soon, as you said, like a year after you got started. So not too long, you got into competitive golf. Was there something different about competitive golf uh, to you than just going out there and playing with your buddies on the weekend? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just competition as a whole. I mean, everything, you know, I would rather be playing in a basketball game than just, you know, shooting around in the yard. Like I just I just like to compete like it was more challenging. I mean, even fast forward to a point when I kind of stopped playing competitively like after college or whatever it just wasn't even fun to go play you know i'm sure you guys probably know a little bit about what i'm talking about but it's just like when there's something on the line it's just it's a lot more exciting for me so it's it's even to this day it's kind of hard to just go out and play like i'd rather play in a money game with somebody or something but just to go hey let's go play 18 you know if it's cool of course whatever but um, most of the time it's like way more exciting to have something on the line. I'm just a competitive person, but that, that goes into my coaching as well. Like I coach and I enjoy coaching competitive players. It's not that I have anything against non-competitive, but it's just like, that's the fire that I like to have. I like to have something on the line. I like to see people playing in tournaments and, you know, stuff like that. So it's just always that, com I've just always been such a competitive person that, you know, that was just kind of second nature. It was enjoyable. I know exactly what you mean. I'm planning on going out and playing pickup basketball later this afternoon. And uh, when you don't, when you don't get to play in competition, especially in some sports, it gets boring. Like I, I know exactly what you mean as far as like with golf too. We played money games all growing up. Pretty much everything's money game. And even now, like 
if we're going to go play, even if I'm playing Ashton, uh, who is 15 shots better than me and Cooper, like <laughs> we have to play for money because that's what, that's what keeps you focused and in it. Uh, so I, I get that. And you mentioned you played in college, uh, and then your competitive career stopped. Talk us through like how you got even to even competitive golf enough that you're looking at going to college and then you decide to go to college and then how things, uh, wrapped up from there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there was a moment where I just like, it was, you know, I'm going to play in, in college, like golf just kind of became the thing. Like it was the thing I was the best at, you know, I, I did it more than anything else. Like I was, I was good. I was a good basketball player. I was a good baseball player. Uh, you know, I gave football up for golf going into high school, but I mean, I played tennis, but golf was the one that was like, again, I just was more passionate about. It and like, it was the one I was excelling at more. Like I was spending year round on it. Um, you know, I was traveling, competing, winning, seeing a lot of success. So it just kind of seemed like that was the road. You know, the interesting part is, again, this was pretty much pre-internet era. You know, this is back in like dial up age. So you just can't go look up stuff. So I didn't really know what the world of competitive golf looked like. So at that point, being in a smaller town, I thought I was going to be the greatest pro on the planet. Because that's all I knew. I'm like, I'm playing in these tournaments. I'm winning. Shoot, I'm going to kill everybody, man. I'm going to play professionally. This is going to be the greatest thing in the world. You know, and I, I started kind of getting on my recruiting stuff with that. And I got in front of, you know, some pretty good schools. Uh, long story short, I didn't take high school all that seriously. I'm very open and honest about that. So my grades kind of lost me a lot of scholarship opportunities. But, you know, I would say like I ended up at a smaller school, but I met some of my best friends, my wife. So like, you know, kind of one of those God's plans thing in my mind. But uh, so it all worked out. But, you know, that was that was kind of the thing, I guess it was just like, it was just the path, you know, it was just something I was excelling at. But at that point, I literally thought I was going to be the greatest professional on the planet just because I didn't know any better until I went to Arizona State and saw what they were about. That kind of gave me a little bit of a wake up call. Talk about that experience of going to Arizona State and seeing that higher level. Well, so at that point, they were so I pestered the coaches until I, you know, they invited me out for a camp or whatever to get in front of them. Um, and that, I mean, I'm a very persistent person, so when I want something like I'm going to be relentless. I just kept drilling them with like calls and emails and stuff. And they're finally like, come on, we'll, we'll look at you. Um, so the year I went out there, um, if I remember right there, I know for a fact their number one was Paul Casey. Number two is Jeff Quinney who won the USA and played professionally. Uh, Matt Jones was their number three, who I think still on the tour. They had this Swedish guy who was their fourth. That was just a beast. I mean. So all these guys, when we went out played, I mean, they're dropping 65s at, you know, which back then they played at Karsten, I think it was called. And, you know, from 7,200 yards and I'm shooting like 76. I'm like, well, huh, <laughs> I guess I guess this is what, you know, this high level stuff is really about. So that, that was a pretty big wake up call right there. A little depressing, to be honest with you, but because you started to learn, like I said, it just wasn't that Internet era where you could just look up to see what everybody's doing and stalk people on social media. Like I had no idea, you know. I mean, you had to get dial up AOL to get onto websites and see what was going on. But even then, like a lot of these places didn't have, you know, stuff you could really look up, like you could find maybe an email address. But so it was a different era, but uh, it was definitely a wake up call. But it it just motivated me to to work harder and you know, spend more time. And, you know, I got to a point where I felt like I probably maybe not Arizona State, but I definitely could have played and had some opportunities to play at a Big Ten school or something if I didn't, you know, jack my grades all up. No, I get that. That's cool that you get to see that, especially nowadays we're kind of inundated with a uh, good score here, good score there, which is nice that you know where everybody stands, but at the same time it can be, you can feel exposed, I imagine, as a junior golfer um, and that you don't, you can feel like you don't measure up very early on. I know that you mm. went on to go and um, do coaching. Tell us about your coaching practice and how you got into that. Yeah, so... Coaching was always something that I guess has kind of been in my blood a little bit. I, uh, you know, even in, in high school, it kind of started in high school, I'll say. Like, I, again, I, with my fascination of just wanting to understand how things work, wanting to understand how the swing works. I mean, I didn't get lessons a lot, but when I did, like, it was very fascinating to me how my instructor could just kind of look at a problem and fix me. And I was like, wow, that's really cool, that problem solution stuff. So, you know, then I just kind of started studying. I read a bunch of golf digest. I would read everything I get my hands on. And, you know, again, at my high school, it was it was me who could play. And then my next guy would shoot maybe 45. And then everybody else was like 50. So, you know what I mean? For nine holes. And our, our, we just had a brand new coach 
that was a science teacher and he admitted he's like i don't know anything about this game i'm just doing it to get a separate paycheck so he's like can you help these guys and i was like well sure you know so i had this i took my my dad's big huge vhs camera out to the range i'm videoing people's swings and stuff and like that was just cool and then as time went on again kind of that same revelation i read a book called a good walk spoiled and started kind of seeing the miseries of what professional golf looked like i mean i had some friends that attempted it and i was just like that just doesn't look fun and i just don't even like to travel that much i mean i after two days of being away i want my own bed i want my house I want my stuff so i was like just playing professionally just didn't seem like it was my route but i was like coaching seems like a great way to stay around the game to feel my competitiveness so again then it's kind of move on to college it was the same thing i mean i was on the range of my college team and video on people's swings and kind of diagnosing and i was probably full of it at that point but it was still a lot of fun to to kind of go through that process and it just seemed like you know this is kind of something i maybe was born to do i just i felt good at it i don't know if i was any good at it but same thing with coaching and then i just got i, I need to know everything so i mean read everything studied everything you know been around every teacher i could be around i mean it's just like i said it's kind of my personality like once i want to know something i just go a thousand percent in and so when you develop that practice and you decide hey like i'm gonna get into coaching i gotta do this all the i gotta do this all the way i gotta talk with everybody i know when you're going through that process at what point in time did you decide hey like i'd like to actually work not just with golfers but with high level golfers i want to work with people who play competitively i mean i've always known it from from the start i mean even just like with you know, trying to help out high school players, college players, you know, back when I was that age, it's, it's just, again, it's always that competitive side. I mean, I coached uh, through college, I coached AAU basketball. Like I just have always liked, um, just the competitive stuff. So even when I was, before I even got into coaching, I was like, I, I want to have a junior academy. And I think it was mainly just because of my experience and like, you know, the impact my instructor had on me, I think I had a lot to do with that, but I was like, I love that one the competition side of it you know the whole trying to get into college and you know just elevating and you know eventually just really on you know the, the development side of the person you know the mental side and handling emotions and you know doing that stuff too that just kind of fit i've always been kind of just like that calm kind of zen mentality i guess not when i was younger but but it's always been somewhere where i can talk to someone help try to calm them down and you know just help them through some you know, life problems as well. So it just kind of always was a natural blend. So at what point in your coaching did you kind of transition from just solely um, doing swing instruction to being more of kind of like a player slash mental coach? And why did you make that transition? I'll tell you the exact moment, actually. So this is this is literally one of those like this moment happened and it changed changed my life. So um so this is when I was kind of getting like really ramping up in, in Chicago and, you know, I was really starting to get my hands on some good juniors. Those like some kids I've already been coaching were developing. Um, so Illinois has this um, junior tournament at Medina every year. So that's like an invite. They invite the, you know, best kids or whatever they can get. So it's a 36 hole one day tournament. I had this particular girl who I thought was just going to be the next greatest thing. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go watch her play in this tournament it's on a Monday. It's my day off. She's going to win this thing. We're all going to celebrate. It's going to be the greatest thing on the planet. Well, that was like the farthest thing from what happened. <laughs> so we went out there and I mean, it was like an immediate struggle. So, I mean, like the first two holes, she parred where I was like, this is great. We're cruising. And then like snap hooked, went out of bounds and then like just started melting down. You know, the, the wheels came off and then she was in situations where I'm just watching her like, I don't think she can hit that shot. Like, I don't think she even knows how, you know, certain bunker shots is like, we've never worked on that. So I'm watching this unfold. I'm like, holy crap, I've never taught her anything to do besides stand on the range and make her swing look good. So on a flat lie, tee boxes, I mean, she's, she's fantastic. You get her out of that into the wind, whatever. And she didn't know what to do, you know? And then I had the parents kind of going crazy and this whole scene's just unfolding. I'm just like, wow, like that, that literally changed everything. I was like, I just have not taught these kids how to play. So in good ideal conditions, they can swing it, they can hit it and, you know, basic putts and stuff, but like any type of adversity, they don't know what to do, you know, especially seeing the, you know, the emotional kind of stuff affects so much. Um, and even just, and then that kind of like started going back to my time as a player and thinking about my own stuff. Um, that was, that was a big moment that just like hit me. 
pretty hard. Like something's got to change. Like I got to start doing something differently, you know, and then I was just pay attention more. So then I would have, you know, kids or players, you know, again, perfect on the range, right? looks so good, man. You should go out there and shoot 72, no problem. And they'll shoot like 85. Like what the F? Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's, that's like, what is going on here? You know, there's always that question that just, that frustrated me too. It's like, why would I just stripe it on the range, go out on the course sometimes just be uncomfortable? Or sometimes I just played great. I have no idea what the difference was. So again, that question drove me crazy. So then I just started going down the wormhole of performance and, and mental game and, you know, all that stuff. And, and a lot of, you know, a lot of it too, I just, I kind of stepped out of golf and was studying football and basketball and just looking at how other people were practicing and um you know because i just felt golf was way behind the time in terms of a lot of that stuff like i just thought what i was trained on was what everybody knows just you need to work on something you work on a golf swing i mean i'd have people come in and tell me they want to work on their chipping i'd be like cool let's video your swing yeah i mean that's like what i knew how to make them better yeah i think me and daniel have kind of both experienced um golf lessons where you go in and you're like, Hey, I want to work on this or like, I'm having trouble with this kind of shot. And then you just end up, um, hitting a bunch of seven irons on a mat mm-hmm. in front of a track man. After, um, watching that, that girl play, what did you guys start to work on? Um, what did you change in your philosophy to end up, you know, helping her with what she really needed to be helped with? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you the first thing. I I legitimately had her come out like the next day because I watched her blade like three bunker shots, and I just we I'm, we're going straight to the bunker. <laughs> That's the first thing I told her. And then like I just we just kind of talked, and I was I just was honest with her. I was like, her name like uh, Deanna, I call her G. It's like, look, we need to like really assess your game and what you can do and what you can't. You know, and I just was like the extreme ownership. Like this is not me. Like I haven't taught you how to do any of this crap. Um, so we started looking at just different situations where she was good and she wasn't, um, and then just try to get on the course. I mean, the challenge with, you know, an instructor will probably tell you is like, it's, it's hard to get on a golf course to work with players. It just is. I mean, even to this day, like I, I struggle with it mightily because the course is either busy or you, you know, you have to drive for 10 minutes to get out to an open hole and then like you're already wasting time and then you hit one, two shots and you gotta get them. Like it's a hard thing to train players on the course. It's in my opinion, would be the absolute best way to do it if you had unlimited time. So it's like trying to figure out how to imitate these situations in practice. And a lot of times that's not easy because practice facilities are not ideal, right? Ranges are flat, it's good grass. We don't have any rough to hit out of. We don't have fairway bunkers to hit out of. We don't have side hills or uphills, you know, usually. So trying to manufacture those things or even short game areas very rarely mimic what you're seeing on the course. So I've just always been trying to get creative. Like, how can I simulate these things and work on these things? And, you know, still answers I search for to this day. But um, but that's I mean, that's really the biggest thing now is I'm trying to look at these players and just say, like, you know, and give them stuff to bring after they play, too. So it's like, you know, when when you do play this tournament, you know, what are your stats? And, you know, stats can be subjective, which is a hard thing to get. So trying to teach people how to really look at you know, what does your game need? You know, because I mean, you can look at stats and this is kind of a tangent, but you know, you can look at stats and be like, oh, I have 36 putts and be like, you know, that's terrible, but you could hit 18 greens and be 70 foot, you know, away from the hole every time. Like, whoa, that's actually really good. <laughs> you know, you could hit 14 greens, but you, you know, popped every one of them up. Like, so it's, it's hard to look at stats and just be like, this is where you got to get better. So trying to help kids learn to evaluate what they truly need and then trying to build that the best way you can into that but you know i'll be honest at this point in my career like i don't really really like working with the swing you know i'm like and i don't have much of a filter as a coach too so i'm like you better go figure this out because i don't want to be working on this crap <laughs> so so usually i'm trying to just again work short game decision making putting you know work on shot processes things like things like that and do a lot of variability in practice so i mean that's it looks probably wildly different now than it did you know six seven years ago when it comes to stats work as far as like, you know, stats can be deceiving. What do you point your students to, to evaluate their tournament round? Say, Hey, here's what you need to work on. And here's what you should, here's a framework for you to look at in order to evaluate it. Yeah. I mean, we kind of, we start with, uh, essentially like emotions really like, you know, how did you handle yourself out there? Were you in a pretty good mode or were you just pissed off the whole time? 
you know, like what was your mood out there to start? And then we'll kind of start back to tracking into a little more of the X and O's. So like, you know, I always start more with how many greens did you hit? You know, and then like, you know, where, where's your proximity? Like that's, that's really what I want to know. Like, where are you putting from? You know, so if you're hitting a green, is it like, you know, are you within 30 feet or are you, you know, you're having a lag putt from 60 feet, you know, and if you're within a decent proximity, then like, are you three putting? So my first thing is I'm always trying to just get players to be really good lag putters and really good short putters. So I spent a ton of time on inside of five feet and outside of 40 or 30 feet. You don't do a lot of stuff in between there. And it's just because, you know, if you break down the percentage of theirs, I mean, even like an eight foot putt tour players are like 50 50. So I'm looking at these junior players. I'm like, look, if they're 50 50, you're probably at best 25, 30 percent. So you're, in practice, you're going to miss 70 percent of your putts. That's just going to kill your confidence. What's the point? The other thing, if you have an eight foot putt, like it's you either hit it better than tour players or your chipping sucks. So let's let's figure that out. You know, what I mean, but if you can get good at making a lot of four foot putts, I mean, your likelihood of making an eight footer goes up. So, you know, so I'm spending tons of time on, you know, like 10 in a row from three to three, four or five feet or something randomized and then lag putts. You know, do like drawback stuff. So I'm always working hard on on that because I don't want players losing shots to three putts, and then just making sure their tee balls are under control, so they're not having penalties. I mean, those are really the main areas. Like driver, wedge, and putter are where I spend eighty to ninety percent of the time. In regards to um, evaluating those stats and kind of developing a training program based off of that, are you of the opinion that you should? Um, kind of double down on your strengths or um, kind of try to work on your weaknesses or is it player to player? Yeah, it's an interesting question because there's some weaknesses that are extremely hard to change, you know, so if the weakness is a low hanging fruit, like limiting three putts, like tackling that for sure, you know, or just making some more short putts. But, you know, if the weakness is trying to gain, you know, 20, 30 yards, like players just not hitting it far enough, that's a hard one to battle. You know, so we'll work on it, but I'm still going to be, you know, spending a lot of time with their hybrids or something like that or long irons to make sure they're sufficient until they can figure out how to get that yardage. So we're really looking at, like, is this costing you? Because I think there's some things out there that, you know, I mean, distance is wildly important. I'll be the first to say that. But, you know, not every great player bombs it, you know, especially like on the girls side. I mean, I coach a ton of girls. So, I mean, there's LPGA players who are absolute savages with hybrids in fairway woods and hands. I mean, Dana Finkelstein's one of them, you know, she'll take a hybrid and put it closer to most people's like nine irons all day long. So it's like, okay, so with Dana, do we, do they just keep building her trying to hit it farther? So she's hitting short clubs or do you just keep developing that, you know, that skill of doing that? I don't, you know, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer there, but for me personally, like I'm trying to make sure somebody's staying good. So if they're hitting fair, a ton of fairways, but they're a little short, like I'm not, going crazy over that you know maybe in the off season let's try to gain you some distance but you know in my personal experience i've seen more people get hurt trying to gain distance than actually gain distance that's just been my my observation and talking to people a bunch of people who do speed training and stuff like that i know there's some good stuff out there probably i've seen some stuff not so good but yeah i mean i kind of skate around that question a little bit sorry but yeah it's 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 individual i guess is the my cop-out answer no that makes sense and uh, yeah when it comes to speed training and stuff like that that's why we recommend uh, you got to you got to choose the right arbiters of information, and you got to find the right people that you trust. And we've had people on here that we trust regarding that, but you can easily go, and I've seen people go to the wrong sources for that and uh, stagnate, not improve, and spend a lot of time not doing the right things. Um, one thing I wanted to jump back to was when it comes to evaluating a student. You talked about how the course is not the same as the hitting bays. And I think that's something both Cooper and I can relate to is I can tell you there were many times in college when I was injured, I was, I still like, I got healthy for a few months here and there and would try to swing, swing the golf club, hit the ball. And like my swing was terrible. But if you drop me back off in my instructor's bay, you couldn't like the swing still looked bad, but the results, you couldn't find much of a flaw with, um, all, all in all. So when it comes to trying to push students outside their comfort zone and trying to really be able to get a true look at the swing, is there an efficient way that you found to do that? Yeah. I mean, I've 
for the most part, try to, um, I try to start by just playing a couple holes of them or I'll just go watch them. I mean, that's always been kind of my go-to, especially the better the player is. Like I always say, Hey, let's like, I start with an evaluation. Like, let's just meet. I want to make sure you're comfortable with me first. I want to see you play a few holes and just see what you do. And I ask them a million questions to see what they know, how much they know their stuff. Again, I, I personally just don't really care how much it looks like. Like, I just want to know, do you know your keys? You know, that's the one thing I've really found with great players that have stood the test of time is they just do the same stuff over and over and over. Like I had Trey Mullinex on my podcast um, and we were talking about Justin Thomas. He's like, dude, JT's been doing that same crap since he was like nine years old. He's like, so when people went crazy over him hitting that other ball at the Masters, he's like, he's been doing that drill his whole life. Like, that's not normal. Anytime he gets off, he goes to the same drill. Um, you know, like Emma Talley told me that she was like, I just, I work on four things every day, like the same four things. And she's like, when I went away from him, I lost my card. I got back to him and played well again. I mean, it's just, it's the same thing with like great players. They just know what they need to do and they do it. Like, so, you know, when people are chasing a look or anything like that, it usually gets, you know, a little more off. So I'm just asking them tons of questions. Like, what do you know? Why do you do this? You know, does somebody just tell you to do it and you're just doing it because, because, or do you know why that's going to help you? So that's kind of like how I start with players. If I can't get them on the course, then I, um, I essentially just do a bunch of randomized stuff um on the range like i'll make a aim in different directions let's say show me you know your shot process show me like what you do when you hit shots you know let's go driver to, to iron it let's see like how you do that like i just very rarely even in a practice setting let people throw an alignment stick down and just sit there for a long time like i like it i mean for fundamental checks like i want to get your alignment right your grip right you know spend 10 15 minutes in a block station but then like then let's step back let's start walking the shots like you do you know let's aim at different targets let's try to take five off let's add five on you know let's hook it around this you know whatever on the range let's you know try to hit a high fade like i want to see what kind of skills that they have so that's essentially like just trying to be as chaotic as possible and just solving problems i like that and one of the things that i think is clear there is you know every golfer is different and we acknowledge that on the swing side for the most part like we've in general everybody's gotten over the idea that there's a specific model that has to be the way the golfer swings the club uh, everybody agrees that, you know, there's certain impact variables that need to be pretty close to the same for the most part, but as far as like how it looks, et cetera, it varies. Something that isn't often acknowledged though is every golfer is different mentally. And I can tell you that's been a stumbling block for me. That's been a stumbling block. I know for Cooper, it's been a stumbling block for a lot of people because in a lot of other sports, you know, you like basketball, you can adjust your coaching to a different player, et cetera. And there's not necessarily a way you need to be in basketball and golf. We have a lot of, we, there's a lot of great players, Tiger, like in particular, who, and Jack, like they're these, they have these different mental abilities and different mental type. And so that's not to say that people can't be like them and not to say that people can't be stoic like Tiger or meditate like him, but to say that everybody acts on the course differently. Not everyone's going to want to do the Tiger walk where he walks ahead of everybody to like, throw someone off. Uh, not everyone's going to want to, um, chat everybody up. So everybody has these different mental golf types and your and mental golf types is not just, um, a word, but it's also a program that you didn't create, but you found, and then essentially for lack of a better term, become a profit of as far as going out, telling people about mental golf types and spreading the news on that, because that's something that many golfers have not heard of and they'll go to an instructor and instructor will talk to them a certain way, teach them a certain way, and they'll go out and play uh, a certain way and act a certain way. And all of a sudden, like the results, their results are not what they would hope they would be in part because they're not playing to, uh, for lack of a better term, their true personality. So after that long spiel, why don't you tell us a little bit about what mental golf types are, what the different mental golf types are, and how you got into that. Yeah, so, you know, kind of long story short, I um, was having dinner with Mike Bender um, you know, one night when he was in Illinois for a teaching summit. You know, I was fortunate. I just was like, hey, Mike, you know, if you're not doing anything, I'd love to take you to dinner. And it was just him and I. So being able to pick Mike Bender's brain for, you know, an hour was pretty awesome, you know, as a young coach. And, you know, I told him kind of some of the stuff that we've talked about. 
in that tournament and kind of my journey into learning about mental game. And at that point, I've, you know, I've read every book you can possibly read. I've studied everything I could study on, you know, sports psychology. And it was all giving me the same message. And, you know, I was like, I, and I was just kind of talking to Mike. I was like, that's cool, but I don't know if that works for everybody. You know, like I, I just, I've seen like me trying to implement these things that actually work pretty well for me to some players. And it's just like, they just look like they're struggling. You know, we're just kind of having that conversation. It's like, well, you should really meet, you know, John Weir. And John is the, you know, who essentially discovered this. He was working as a mental game coach at the Bender Academy. I mean, I think I emailed him like at that night at dinner because I was fascinated because he was telling me like he's doing, he's discovered some stuff with personality types. It's, it's pretty wild. And I was like, well, I got to know this. Like, this is crazy. So I got to know John. Fortunately, we struck up a friendship. Um, and he was just, you know, helping me with a little just information, just, you know, difference of how players see targets. And, you know, my eyes started to really open with some stuff. He just told me, he's like, you might not want to hear this, but about 75% of the population, the target's actually a stressor for, which means when you're trying to get people's eyes up and you're trying to get them to just react to the target, that's actually stressing them and making them worse. And I was like, well, crap. <laughs> I was like, but it's it's and it's not like I was like, you know, whatever, but because I immediately I'm just running through these players in my head that I've tried to do that with. And I saw like actually struggle. I was like, hmm. So immediately I started connecting dots and I wanted to know more and more. Um, and then, you know, John had moved and we kind of lost touch. Uh, I think he was in California at the time. And then, you know, COVID hit. And that's when, I, you know, I asked him, just called him out of the blue. and was like, hey, you want to do a podcast like a swing instructor and a mental game guy? And you know, all the while I just kept like, hey, you know, we got to really get mental golf type out there, dude. This, this is, this is killer. And we'd have conversations and we'd talk about it and talk about players. And it was cool. And I was like, you really got to do this. And, you know, so I was able to kind of help him, you know, push him over the edge to, to bring it out. I'm, I'm so glad he did because it's, it's crazy. But, um, what I started to see with that, which was fun as I was doing this because he, he wasn't at a course at the time. So I was doing some testing as we were going through this stuff. So I would take my camera out and I had a focus band or I still have a focus band, but I'm not sure if you guys know what that is, but for anybody that doesn't know, it's just uh, basically a consumer headband that kind of measures brain waves. And it kind of just shows you if you're more into a relaxed state of mind or a very analytical, like very processing state of mind. So it's, essentially it's kind of a consumer way to see like, are you in the zone or not? So I would test these players and, and see them go through this. I would, I would not even have them look at the target actually focus on a swing thought, everything against what I thought was, was the way to do it. And they would just go green. would be completely calm. And, I, you know, that same player would go, okay, eyes up, and then boom, red. I was like, whoa. But then again, like me, I am that player where, like, I need to stay target-focused and, and seeing shapes and, you know, kind of that creativity stuff. Like, that's why that stuff always worked well for me. I'm, I'm an intuitive player. So, like, the center who's the opposite, like a Tiger Woods, a Xander Shoffley, a Justin Thomas, like you look at these guys, like they hardly, they don't even really look at the target. So I started noticing these patterns more. And John and I would have these conversations, and he'd just be like, "Yeah, you know, I told you, basically, <laughs> like it's pretty wild." Um, so the the discovery was has just been like fascinating, and being able to do all these like tests and stuff. And you know, I have a couple of seasons of a, even a show I did on uh, like YouTube called Quest to Be the Best on Mental Golf Types YouTube, where I just take players kind of through this and just train them on these personality facets, like. One that's really interesting even is just, you know, extroverts versus introverts and how they operate. And, you know, I took an extrovert, like an extreme extroverted person. And I just said, you can't talk for three shots. This is a professional player, by the way. She was playing on the symmetric throw at the time. And by the third shot, she like hit a foot behind it, like chunked the crap out of it. And, she, and, I, and then I would ask her, like, what'd you feel? She's like, I fell all bottled up and yada, yada, because that's what extroverts do. Like they get very internal and like that starts to create all of a sudden kind of chaos. And I was like, okay, so just talk out the shot. Tell me what's going to do. She's like, right, I'm going to draw it around these poles that I had in front of her. And then she striped, like just within the shot. So like that kind of stuff just blows my mind. Like it's so fun to do because it's like almost a magic trick. But it's like how fast that stuff comes to fruition when you know what you're trying to do and recognizing those stress patterns. Because then I would go back to my own game. And I'm like, every time I get pissed off, even in life, like I get quiet. That's what extroverts do. We get quiet. We get you know, head hangs down and we get everything gets internal. And when it's internal, it's usually not good. Where introverts are like the opposite. Like they're your Tiger Woods who you see them lash out. You'll see the frustration more external. So he starts understanding this very predictable behavior 
of what players do uh, was pretty wild because now having these conversations with players and I'll just kind of like almost predict exactly what they're doing on the course. Like that's exactly like you know, Cooper, when you said like that, that report is like, that's pretty scary accurate. I mean, we get that, you know, all the time. It's pretty nuts. As far, as far as the personality types go for mental golf type, you know, there's introverted, extroverted, et cetera, that we've discussed. Walk us through a little bit more about what each one of those kind of controls, like at least some of the common things you'd see. So for like extrovert and introvert, it sounds like introverts don't need to be out there chatting it up with people and extroverts probably need to have like a conversation going on while they're playing. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because introverts don't necessarily just always need to be quiet, but it's how they kind of recharge their batteries. And it's also how we kind of formulate ideas. So introverts are going to you know, process information a lot better internally, where extroverts typically do that better, like hourly. Like even like just use myself as an example. You know, if I'm in a quiet room or something for too long or doing work, like sometimes I need to step up and just like talk to myself, like talk ideas out. Like I always do better, and I'm sure you can see as I get going, like you know, energy's going everywhere, my hands fly everywhere. Like you know, <laughs> that's that's like an extrovert. Like we get more energized. Ideas get clear when we're more external, where introverts are just a little bit different. Um, which is interesting because, like, uh, like what should be a more relaxing time or day is just like peacefully sitting quietly. Like, I get exhausted. I can be so tired sometimes and go out on the lesson range, get around people, and then I'm just like, boom, energized again. Like, it's pretty wild. But and again, those things are just important to know. Like, just that trick of an extrovert you know, starting to struggle, all of a sudden they pull in and get internal, just learning to go, hey, just just go talk, do something, hum a song. Like all of a sudden that can, you know, start to change those stress levels. Because at the end of the day, that's essentially what's happening is we're experiencing some form of stress. Because stress, you know, we'll get these cortisol releases, which are uh, essentially a paralytic, creates a lot of tension. You know, we can start triggering the fight or flight response. So we start getting, you know, adrenaline releases, start getting into more of the primitive way of thinking you know survival and we're not into the motor cortex or the cerebral of like making decisions so when we go against our opposite trait so like as an intuitive who's somebody who sees big pictures shapes you know kind of creative objects if you will kind of like an artist like i'll see the end goal first and kind of work back from there that's like how intuitives do they like what what are you going to create and then they'll work backwards they're like okay this is how it's going to be done we're a sensor the opposite is like more of a linear way of thinking. It's like an instruction manual. Like I need to do step one, I need to do step two, that equals step three. So how that transfers into golf is like a Xander Shoffley. I need to get my takeaway here, and then that'll get the ball over my intermediate target, and then that'll get to the target. Like that's how they think. Get takeaway right, everything else falls into place. Where a Bubba Watson or a DJ is the more I'm gonna hit a high draw, and then this is how I do it you know, type thing. So it's like kind of the same outcome they're looking for, but just different ways of seeing it. So again, when that flips though, so like an intuitive, somebody who's always been at my best with like ball flights, kind of creativity, you know, when we, when intuitives flip, we get more into a sensing way of thinking. So the focus gets very narrow and we start getting more into the details of like, you know, is my swing in the right spot? My takeaway in the right spot? So we start getting away from target. Where like a sensor, though, who's actually good with that stuff, they start seeing too much. Their perception broadens, So they start seeing out of bounds. They start seeing the water. They start seeing everywhere the ball can't go. And they get away from their task. They don't feel like they have the control. They don't have their step one. You know, I don't know if, if my takeaway is not right, then, you know, whatever. And you can like, if you find some clips of like Justin Thomas, you can hear him talk about that all the time. It's like, you know, if, if I, my takeaway is not right, then everything gets lost. I start dropping inside. Everything starts getting negative from there. Then I don't know where the ball's going. Jordan Spieth says the same stuff all the time. I don't know where the ball's going. When he's stressed, you start seeing him look at the target 10 times versus normal five. You know, you start seeing like the eyes drift out, the focus gets out here where they're actually better pulled in. I have so many things of videos where I will like legitimately stand in front of those players and just don't let them look at the target. Because John, John told me about a time he's EK for, or currently does if Austin hopefully gets healthy, Austin Truslow. Uh, he caddies for him on the, on the corn ferry. And he was telling me about when he was working with Austin kind of back when they first started, he took him out to the course and just said, I'm not going to look, look, even look at the target for nine holes. And so he went like six or seven under or something like just incredible. Just I'm going to stand in front of you. You just focus on your task and just boom, boom, boom. 
And I was like, that sounds awesome. I want to try that. <laughs> so I started doing that with players. Like I would start just standing in front of them, these types of players, not let them look at the target. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. And I'd be like, okay, now focus on the target. And then they'd miss it. And I'd be like, all right, let's go back to not looking at the target. So these changes are, are incredibly instant, which is fascinating. When you can pull that off on the range, I'm like, okay, now add stress to that. You know, add pressure to that. So if you're missing, like doing this way here, now you add some pressure to it. That's, you know, now you're in trouble. So having that awareness is huge. So that's like our perception and focus. A third function is what's called thinking and feeling. It's like how we make decisions. So we've got basically our evaluation. We're taking in all this information. It's how we make decisions. So kind of a way to think about thinker or feeler is like take Bryson DeChambeau versus Dustin Johnson. You know, you hear them say two totally different things. Like Bryson's going through wind density, for God's sakes. Like he goes through this laundry list of stuff. And not all thinkers are like that, but they need a little more of a list. Like, you know, the wind's doing this, this is doing this, so it has to be this decision. Like, it's on paper, this is the correct thing to do. You know, feelers are more gut instinctual people. You know, it just feels like the right shot. So they're better trusting their gut. Thinkers are better when they just have enough information to make a confident decision. You know, so again, go into stress and those kind of flip. Thinkers start to become very irrational, they can become emotional where feelers start to overthink stuff. And I'm 100% guilty of that. I remember, I can remember shots so vividly of, you know, just standing, and it's always the easiest shot too. It'd be like 150 in the middle of fairway, middle pin, and I'm like, huh, well, what's the wind doing? <laughs> you know, is that two clubs, is that one club? You know, and you start just like overthinking everything. And you're like, why didn't I just trust my gut? So that's the evaluation portion. And then the last is our structure, essentially just how we like structure day. So we have judges and perceivers Judges are very structured people, calendars, schedules, you know, they just like to know the order and predictability of their day. Perceivers are a little more of like, we'll call organized chaos. That's just like go with flow. They might do four different things at once, but when they do that thing, it's like just bang, bang, bang. Like they'll go hard at it and then just like move on to something else. So like, again, example, I'm reading like four books at once. One day I'll read like two or three chapters of one and I'm like, oh, this other one looks good. I'll go to that. You know, I always have three or four projects going type thing where my wife is like, if she doesn't know where she's going to be at this certain time and this certain time, like it just stresses her out. So that's a kind of a quick rundown of, of the four facets and essentially, you know, how that ties in. Very cool. When it comes to those facets, it sounds like it's not just something that, you know, a player can use for themselves, but also a caddy can use as far as helping out players or being aware and coaches too. So let's take a specific example. Let's say you have an INTP uh, and mm -hmm. they hit a bad shot you, is it? as a caddy. Uh, and just for clarity's sake, that's actually not what I am. I'm picking one out there. <laughs> okay. That's what, I, of. That's what uh, I am. <laughs> so this is good. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. I got you. <laughs> so you have an INTP and they hit a bad shot in a tournament. What would be the things that like as a caddy, you might not say to them, and what would the things be as a caddy that maybe you would say to them? So INTPs are going to be, um, you know, they're going to be a little more, what's the way I put this nicely, <laughs> critical. <laughs> um, so we'll say, we'll say critical, but they're, INTPs are usually no BS type people. So they're not going to really want the rah-rah pump up speech type thing. They're going to want to know what they need to do to fix it. You know, where someone like me, who's almost the complete opposite of that, is typically enjoys more of the motivational, like pump up type stuff and is going to feed off of that. Where like an INTP mainly is going to just be like, what do I need to fix? And then what's possible on this next shot? So if I fix this, then I can get this back on track because that intuitive portion is still going to want to have that future, like what's possible. That's where intuitives are really good. Like it's a great way for any intuitive listening to this. Like what's possible is a great question because that feeds the imagination now. Well, I can, you know, hit this high draw in there. That's going to lead to, you know, a birdie opportunity. And then I'll be cruising once I'm back on track, you know, where intuitives are really can get in trouble is they get stuck on mistakes. So he, that INTP could really get stuck on that shot and just not let it go. So, you know, we'll say, Hey, you know, buck up, fix it. And let's, you know, let's go get some birdies on these next few holes, you know, looking to the future with a little bit of bluntness to it would be a really good way to handle kind of that situation. 
that's interesting you talk about the uh the raw 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 speech um because me myself being an intp i was my college coach would always you know try to like say like we're trying to peak for the um conference tournament like you know maybe try to like give a you know motivation you know towards the end of the year and i'd be like you know wait a second why why are we doing this why aren't we just play um our hardest every tournament and you can't really control when you're supposed to play well and that was the only way i could see it but looking back i think you know maybe that was beneficial for some people um and they not everybody sees things the way that i do um but i mm-hmm. did not realize that in college and it always frustrated me um kind of the way that he would go about things in that way yeah so uh, validation to the point i guess <laughs> And that's good information as far as how to handle as a caddy. And the reason I asked that is because uh, I've caddied for Cooper plenty of times, and exactly what you said right there. I've seen I've seen it before. Um, not to throw Cooper under the bus, but you know Cooper hits. I can. There are several instances, but Cooper hits a bad shot. He gets mad, and I can't like I know that I can't say it's all good because clearly it's not all good because the ball's in the lake and he's got a retee. And so uh, I'm just like, all right, hit an, hit another one. Um, and then uh, that introvert side, like he's, he can easily get frustrated with uh, people around him or just the existence of what's going on. And so it's interesting to see that have it played out. And we've had a few of those instances, more so me catting for Cooper and not as many him catting for me just because it's been a while since I've played competitively like that. But it's nice to see that all get wrapped up inside of a situation like that when it comes to differences in people. So we talk about uh, somebody maybe who's more on the extrovert, maybe more on the side that has more like feels, et cetera. How do you, how do you balance talking to players that are more focused, like, like the feel of things. So we talked about tiger and uh, some of the things that I've seen from tiger essentially. He's like, yeah, like I can't, I can't pick a target and, um, Notwithstanding that there's a, he's actually has videos where he says both, but I think the truth of it is that he can't pick a target, uh, at least like on his short game shots. He's not a spot chipper or something like that. Mm-hmm. He kind of has to look at the hole and like just uh, he just kind of has to react to what is. He can't like pick a spot and hit it there. So when you're working with those players, what do you tell them to help them not get bogged down in the analytics or um, when they're in a tournament and they start feeling themselves overthinking, et cetera, and getting bogged down in not feeling it, how can they pull themselves out? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, the, fir- the first piece is just the awareness. And that's why that's so powerful is when you know what targets are good for you, what are not, you can catch yourself really quick, you know, and I find that really important. So again, kind of the expert, you know, introvert situation, like we know that you're also getting quiet, like we can revert. So kind of understanding where you're at as a player you know, what your best target is. So, I mean, we have a couple different options. Like you have your, again, spot players, you know, your aim small, miss players, or aim small, miss small. You have people who see more target zones. You have people who see what we'll call apex windows. They might see something up in the sky where the ball's going to fly through. Uh, some people see it actually at the end goal really well. Something I've always liked and I've used with players, like I, I make a field goal. And I'll just stand that up and like, I'll just hit through this field goal. Cause I've always been the player of like five trees in front of me or something. I'll pull off the greatest shot of my life. You know, I'll just, I'll, cause it's just such a clear, like, I know what I need to do. So I'm always trying to pin down number one, like what is your best targeting? Cause once we understand that, then we understand the predictable where it's going to go. Like I always, again, my, for me, it would always get small. You know, I would start narrowing my focus way too much. I would stop seeing the possibility. I would not be able to see the shape really clearly, you know, and it would just get into the step by step of trying to swing it. And even if it was right, what I was trying to do, like, again, it's just like that tension and stress and stuff I would feel, which is why it was always uncomfortable, would always produce kind of a bad shot. So, you know, if like I'm caddying for a player and they're doing that, I just say like trying to get them back, number one, using their essentially their communication style. Like, so if they're an introvert, I might just let them be a little bit. But again, not all introverts are quiet. So, I mean, like Cooper even has a good extroverted quality, like he's better talking about possibilities. So, 
you know, after he gets kind of the self stuff out, like I would probably be talking, you know, hey, let's what's possible on the shot? Like, what can you hit here type thing? You know, trying to get him to verbalize those things instead of just, you know, beating himself up. So it just be going back to like, okay, here's your target, you know, especially like an INTP. Like, again, I'm probably just going to be a little more blunt. Like, okay, here's your target. Here's your zone or whatever you see, like hit that shot. (laughs) You You know what I mean? Where, you know, if it's someone more like me who's an ENFP, who's a little more, you know, going to be on the more of the, you know, the emotional side of things, if you will. It's like someone's kind of trash talking me. I'm, I'm probably just going to erupt, you know, and just like get into a verbal argument. Like, I don't want to hear that. Like, I want you to tell me how good I am, <laughs> you know, and I want to pump up my self-image that way. So it's like, you know, hey, you can you got this, you know, that kind of stuff was good for me. I'm the player that that was good for. I love that stuff. But again, it's not for everybody. So again, I'm kind of all over the place with that question. But the the main the kind of the takeaway with that is when you know what your good stuff is, you're going to be really aware when you go away from it. So it's just getting back to what that good is and just making sure you define it, you know, in your practice. So you're defining and actually practicing these targets. Something that um, I was thinking about when you're talking about that is, you know, figuring out what your mental golf type is is. Um, probably super helpful um, when it comes to what you do off the course during a tournament week. Um, like myself, I know I'm an introvert, but um, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't hang out with my buddies after a round because I, you know, I'm playing a lot of tournament golf. I discovered that I can't have a hotel room by myself or else I'll just like sit there all night and think about how bad I played or if I played good, stress about the next day because I might be you know, playing for the tournament or, or something. And so, mm-hmm. um, I also figured out that, um, if I exercise at night, it gets my mind off the, um, off the tournament and gets those endorphins flowing and stuff like that. And so I'm kind of curious to see, to, do you advise players on what they should do off the course during a tournament week based on their, on their, on their mental type? Yeah. I mean, again, good question. That's that's the nice thing with this stuff is like there's there's so many applications and it's it's really powerful for when you're executing, but it's even more powerful for when you're not. So, you know, higher spending time in between shots, you know, just, you know, some people need to be kind of wandering around looking at the birds or something or some people need to be chatting up their playing partners, um, you know, what you're doing outside of the golf course, you know. So some p- players are just going to stress themselves, just like you said, sitting alone and stressing about the tournament where. Some people that locks in, you know, some people are going to be good just kind of on their own and just really focusing on what they their task is the next day and just going through that mental visualization. So, yeah, that's that's an extremely important piece to you because it's a lot of times it's your mental energy, too. So, you know, again, you take me, put me in a quiet hotel room by myself, like that's probably just going to drain me. You know, I'm probably not going to be at my best the next day. But if I'm out to dinner with friends or whoever. You know, because introverts, especially like, again, it's not just what people think it is. It's not just people who like to sit in your own and be quiet. Like I have introverts that I coach that people would never guess are introverts. They're very, very chatty when they want to be into usually a close knit circle. They're just not the ones that like to go mingle with everybody or me. I don't care. I'll go talk to anybody anytime, anywhere. You know, I, I love having different conversations. So it's just it's just those different things of, you know, I'm going to probably be better being out later in a tournament setting to keep my mind off that and just again being out to dinner or whatever just chatting conversations where you know some might be good just in their on their own just get, getting locked in uh i have a story about like two of my kids from and going into their high school state tournament uh this was years back but this was before i understood this stuff but i kind of intuitively knew what was going on i had one kid that just sat at home and was just like the whole night, just I was just thinking about the tournament, thinking about the tournament. You know, just it was first time I stayed. He was all pumped up. And another kid that's like had bun- like 10 dudes over and they're just playing video games all night to like three in the morning. The dude playing video games went out, and killed it. The dude that's stressing about it all night hacked it up. So it's just like that situation. I'm just knowing again, I guess, where is, where is keeping you into a better state of mind? And, and it doesn't need to be what most people think it is. Everybody thinks it's the Tiger Woods of intense stare and and all that. And I tried to emulate that and it was terrible for me as a junior. I mean, 
I didn't know it back then, but every time I tried to have that intense stare and I tried to be quiet, I didn't play well at all. I played well when I was goofing off and joking and talking and hitting creative shots. Like those are always my best rounds. I kind of had a similar experience uh, myself, um, kind of figuring out what is best for me just by noticing trends of when I was playing well and when I wasn't playing well. Um, me, myself, I'm kind of, it takes me a little while to think through things. And so I noticed that when I was playing better, I took a long time and I'm just naturally still a player. Um, and sometimes <laughs> when I wasn't playing very well, um, would be the times that I would be super fast and I was really just disengaged. Um, but I don't know if that's, you know, related to my mental golf type or just something that is the way is the way that I process things. But it was just interesting because coaches would always tell me, you know, you need to play faster. You need to speed up. And there is some truth to that. But um, in the end, I performed best when I took my time. Well, again, that kind of plays into the thinker side of your personality type. I mean, that's like they're usually a little bit slower because they need to confirm information to make a confident decision. So usually speeding up means you're rushing through a few things or forgetting or kind of missing a few of your steps, maybe. And then that automatically is going to create some doubt. Like, I don't know if I have all the right stuff, you know, where typically you see a player like me, it's usually quicker. It's just whoop, high draw, hit it. You know, or you see like Dustin Johnson, like uh, get the wind and whatever and uh, hit it. <laughs> You know, so it's just it's just different. I mean, you know, that's that's part of just, again, being OK, being who you are. And as long as you're not holding up the whole golf course, then who cares? Yeah, that rarely happened uh, too often. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he as I can attest to Cooper, um, very thoughtful when he goes through his um, full swing and those types of things. It's cool, as, as you said, like to be able to take this abstract abstract concept of somebody's personality type have characteristics derived from it and then be able to see those play out. And then hopefully in the future, be able to react and uh, correct those issues. When you see them go haywire, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. The last question we ask every guest is if you go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would it be? And considering you're a coach slash working on the performance side, we'd also ask you if you could tell a junior golfer just one thing, what would that be? Well, they're they're one and the same, and it's it's get off the range. I mean, I can't say it's or even just stop spending so much time on the technique. I mean, if I could go back, that would be the one thing I would absolutely love to tell myself is it it doesn't matter. You got it. Just understand it and move on. Because I would sit out there and hit balls until I made it worse. I mean, essentially. And then I had to fix stuff. I so, I mean, I would just sit there and beat balls, beat balls, beat balls. So, the same today. I mean, I'm typically, like, just trying to get kids to s just stop working on their swing so much. I'm like, just, if you know the one or two things you need to do, you don't need, you just, it needs a 10-minute check every day. And then let's get into performance stuff. So, that's my biggest piece of advice. I love it. Those are That's something that both Cooper and I have realized now that we have stopped playing as uh and stop playing as much but and for me like i get out a few times a week but you don't have as much time to spend two hours working on technique that you just never managed mm -hmm. to carry over and you spend more time focused on that skill acquisition i found it paying dividends for me for people who are more interested in uh, your teaching and mental golf types where can they find that where can they find you on social media tell us all about that Sure. So everybody can go to and should go to mentalgolftype.com and just take the free assessment. I mean, it's just, you know, even if you don't want to do anything past that, it's just powerful information to know. You get a little free report that should tell you some things about yourself and hopefully confirm some things. So they can definitely do that and follow Mental Golf Type. Um, me personally, you know, my social handles, I'm on Instagram mainly at uh, Kyle underscore Alderink underscore MGT certified. Thanks for joining us today. Please do us a big favor and like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts so we can help others learn how to play better tournament golf. You can find us online at thetournamentcode.com, on Instagram at thetournamentcode, and on Twitter at tournamentcode. As always, 
feel free to reach out to us at those places or email us at daniel at the tournamentcode.com and cooper at the tournamentcode.com. We hope you join us as we continue to dive deeper in what it takes to play elite tournament golf. Thank <laughs> you.